The Hazy Podcast is brought to you by EK the DJ and Michael Reed. Join them each season as they discuss the adventures contained in various audiobooks. This season, they'll be providing reactionary commentary on the So I Got Hazed audiobook by Michael Reed. Chapter 4 Nicknames August 29th, Two Strike Mike. I didn't wake up when Ethan went to class. I slept like a giant baby. When I finally decided to pull myself out of bed, I looked at my golden tickets. I had two citations for underage possession of alcohol, and one citation for aiding and abetting the delinquency of a minor. The citations from the second night had a court date of October 25th and were issued by Sergeant J.L. Slaughter. All I could do was shake my head while I looked over the yellow papers. I wasn't hungover, but I did have a nervous stomach thinking about calling my dad. I knew that the sooner I called him, the less I would have to stress about it. Not only would I have to tell my dad that I received two alcohol tickets and some bullshit aiding and abetting ticket, I would also have to explain to a man with a rich sense of humor that I received a ticket from Sergeant Slaughter, the same name that was shared by the old school wrestling superstar. Also, the character in G.I. Joe. I loved that guy when I was a kid, and now his doppelganger was giving me citations. I hesitantly wandered around the dorm and talked to John for a bit. I told John my dilemma, and he said, Just call him. You'll feel better. And if you don't, we'll smoke weed afterward. Although John and I had just met, he had a great way of cheering me up. He made any bad situation not seem so terrible. I thanked him and went back to my room. I picked up my phone and I called my dad. He was so happy to hear my voice until I kept talking. I explained how I got an alcohol ticket over the weekend. I thought there would be yelling, but he handled it pretty well. From his reaction, I felt like he was going to let me experience a lot on my own. This would include the consequences that came from making bad decisions. He asked me if I had done any research into the charge. I explained that I had done lots of research and that the campus had a strike policy. He agreed that it seemed like double jeopardy and wasn't mad about the strike as much as the citation. He asked if I was going to get a lawyer. That's when I told him about the second night and the other two charges. He was not impressed with me. I told him that I would most likely need a lawyer just to minimize the consequences of having multiple charges. I thought that any good lawyer wouldn't have a problem getting the aiding and abetting the delinquency of a minor charge dropped. When I suggested a public defender, my dad immediately said, No, I will get you a lawyer and you can pay me back. I hated that statement because I knew I couldn't pay him back. So I don't know if you still have your little chart thing going, but I think that in the first couple of weeks, we're up to so much debt to dad for college. This is kind of yeah, ridiculous. It's out of control. I was a broke college kid. This meant I would be further indebted to him, and he wasn't giving me an option. It was like, this is the best decision for you. No choice. Bam, you're in debt. My dad was a wise man, and he was always looking out for my best interests. He told me that a public defender in a college town was drowned with alcohol cases and would probably end up screwing up my case. Public defenders lacked caring, monetary influence, and resources. He was right, and all of these factors would not help contribute to a positive outcome for my charges. During the call, my dad joked, I guess that I can call you Two-Strike Mike now. I had been given my nickname. His calmness and humor helped me think much more rationally about the situation. 
When we were done talking lawyers, I filled him in on all my adventures thus far. He told me to be careful and stay safe. I felt sick to my stomach before I called my dad. When I got off the phone with him, I felt so much better, just like John said I would. Of all the people in the world, I was most worried about disappointing my dad, even more so than disappointing myself. I my dad is so cool because, like, after the entire discussion about the lawyer, with most people, like, that would be the end of the discussion, right? And you'd kind of leave on a bad note. But then it, like, completely switched gears, and he's like, so how's everything else going? Yeah, that's kind of awesome. Walked over to John's room and said, all done. It went well. Do you want to smoke? John replied with a smug smile on his face. No, sorry, man. I didn't realize I was almost out. You're joking, right? We argued back and forth because he had just offered. I knew that John would eventually cave and we would go smoke somewhere. The reality was that John still had some weed and I didn't have any. I re mooch, mooch, mooch. I'm mooching, but I shared with him so much. <laughs> This is actually the first time in the story that John does something like this. So just remember, like, John setting me up, being like, no, if, if you go do this, we can do this after. Ran out of weed fast because I had been sharing it with all my new friends. I never paid attention to how much weed I had until I ran out. The positive side of smoking everyone up was that I had lots of friends to smoke with off campus now. I told John that I had a shipbird friend that we could probably get weed from. I could have been that guy in the dorm room studying all day. Instead, I was on the hunt for that green. John and I walked to Patrick O'Connor's house to find and smoke weed. We shot the shit while we were walking. Whenever I walked around the outskirts of the campus, my eyes and mind were introduced to something new. When we got to O'Connor's house, John Knowles got a call from his girlfriend. John took the call, and he stayed outside talking to her while I went inside. Patrick was in the middle of vacuuming his room and seemed somewhat annoyed that John and I dropped in. I don't know if you remember this, but James and John always were on the phones with their girlfriends. Like, we'd be hanging out smoking, and then they'd be like, hey, I gotta go, I gotta, I gotta I talk do to remember, I do remember John always being on the phone with his girlfriend. James, not so much, but I remember John always being on the phone with his girlfriend. Fuck him, I thought. He took that terrible shit in my tiny little room, and I had to smell it for an entire day. The least he could do was help me find some weed. This is like the start of my annoying payback to Patrick O'Connor because I'm like, this dude destroyed my bathroom and everybody on my floor thought it was me, so I'm going to get him back. I got him back once. It was wonderful. You got him back? Oh, you know, when we did our pledge paybacks during my class... He was our he was our number one target. Well, he tell was me the first when we zip tied his hands and legs together and threw him in the back of my pickup truck. How did you even threw catch him, him to him zip tie his legs together? Well, you, okay, so we pledge paybacks are initiated 
when you decide to initiate them. All you have to do is let your PE know this is when we're doing our pledge paybacks right now. This is it's happening. So uh we are I don't I don't remember whose house it was. It might have been oh, I don't want to say incorrect names. We were at somebody's house. <laughs> okay, a fraternity brother's house. We were at a fraternity brother's house hanging out in the basement in his room. Uh and it was a couple of fraternity brothers and and me and my pledge brother. He's named Chippy. Me and yep. Chippy. So we, <laughs> I'm try, trying to use the uh, code names. <laughs> I need to send you uh, the cheat sheet. I need the cheat sheet. So Chippy and I are uh, we're we're hanging out and and we're we're getting Patrick is is giving us all kinds of crap about you got to do this, you got to do this, and I want you to use use the pennies in your pledge pack, and you need to go and get me a stick of gum, and I'm looking, I want to see the receipt. You have seven minutes to get there, and he is just oh, he's giving us to to, to us as hard as he can. And uh, so we go and we call as soon as we leave. It's like now, now we call our, our. Rest your PE. Our PE. Mm-hmm. Um, we called him. Told it's now. now. Now's the time. So we went, got my truck, got my zip ties, got bags <laughs> of ice from the 7-Eleven. We had my roommate fill up the bathtub with bags of ice. Uh, we went and, uh, we went back and we didn't have what he was looking for. And he goes, Oh, you guys are in trouble. And we was like, Nope, you're in trouble. And we snatched him up, <laughs> zip, tied, zip, zip tied his hands and legs together, threw him in the back of the pickup truck, rode around, took, took four, blindfolded him, uh, rode around the, the, uh, uh, light side for a little while, like just taking sharp turns, rolling him around in the back of the truck. At one point he got out and tried to hop away. We got him back in. And uh, brought him back to the house, threw him in the ice bath, you know, sent him through the let's hear the Greek alphabet. Let's hear the the foundation, you know, every everything we we mm-hmm. we, we ran him through the gambit and uh, oh, we fed him dog food, made him drink Crisco. Oh, it's, we, we, we tormented him. We, we, we tormented him. He took it like a champ, though. And uh, then he helped us get I think we got might have gotten 20 brothers during pledge pledge paybacks. That is incredible. Yeah, we had we got every single graduating senior, um, and and we just got so many. We got so we got all the people that gave us the most. So you have like fourteen chapters to remember all of the people before we hit our pledge paybacks, but it'll start to come to you, and then I'll send you a cheat sheet too. I need the cheat sheet. We sat smoking weed out of his tiny little bong until John came in from outside. John was excited to tell us that his girlfriend was coming into town. She was going to bring one of her friends named Felicity. We hung out for a while with O'Connor, and he told us about how great the town was. He told us a threesome story that was only made possible by him being in the fraternity. Two girls he had met through Sig H approached him at a party, and the rest was history. The more and more he told us about fraternities, the more and more John Knowles and I started to fall in love with Greek life. We were mesmerized. We told Patrick that we needed to get some weed because we were running out. Patrick laughed. Ha! You can't walk down the street without finding a drug dealer. I can take you guys to a good chronic dealer that's a brother of mine if you want. John and I both looked at one another and smiled. We looked back at Patrick and gave him two synchronized head nods. Patrick told us he had to finish cleaning his house and that he could take us over afterward. 
John and I talked to Patrick's sexy roommates until he was ready to leave. Patrick took us over to the same White House I partied at the night before. It was the house behind his main fraternity house. This was also the house I met John Knowles at, officially, and where we smoked weed together for the first time. It was only two blocks away from our dorm. We walked up the steps and into the back door of the house. There was a mountain of clothes piled on top of their washer and dryer that was by the back door. Patrick led us past the clothes and into a bedroom straight ahead of us. On the left of the room, there was a bed and shelving unit. On the right, there was a large sofa with a table and a TV in front of it. The coffee table had a beautiful tall glass bong on it. A guy was sitting on the sofa with fluffy blonde hair and a girl was laying on the bed in the corner. The girl was gorgeous and covered in tattoos. Neither of them paid much attention to us as we walked into the room with Patrick. It's as if they had seen so many people come and go through their door that new people didn't phase them anymore. Sup, Kaiser. What's up, Camilla? O'Connor said. Hey, Patrick, who are your friends? Camilla asked. Guys, this is Carl Kaiser, and this is Camilla. Camilla? Kaiser? This is John and Two Strike Mike. O'Connor politely introduced us to make us feel welcome. You can call me Knowles, John said. Camilla's eyes moved back to the TV. Her interest in us had expired. Hey guys, what's up? Carl said, now standing up. Carl was tall and muscular with a deep voice. He was wearing khaki shorts and a blue Volcom stone shirt that barely fit over him. He had a leisurely look to him. He seemed nice enough to buy weed from anyways, but that isn't saying much. I was curious why they called him Kaiser. I figured he just liked Kaisers, so I didn't ask. I was more interested in the weed we were buying than the origins of his nickname. Hey, what's going on, Carl? Hi, Camilla. I shook Carl's hand, and I waved at his friend. I wasn't sure if it was his girlfriend or not. It was the afternoon, morning for college students, and she was at his house in what looked like pajamas. What did you say your name was? Carl said, looking at me. My name's Mike, but everyone's been calling me Two-Strike Mike. Camilla's attention fell from the TV and back onto us. I know you. You got arrested in front of Doug's house a few nights ago. Carl smiled since we were still shaking hands and said, Couldn't run fast enough, dude? What's interesting about this is that my dad had just given me that nickname. This girl was like Detective P.I. And she was like, wait, it was a guy named Mike that got busted outside of his house. And now this guy's introducing himself as Two-Strike Mike. Two and that guy that was Mike also had a strike before. Hmm, is this the same guy? No, man, were you there too? I asked, somewhat embarrassed, realizing that maybe a lot more than eight people watched me get my citation. No, I just heard about it. Doug was pissed because they made him move his keg inside his house. After chatting for a few minutes, an awkward drug deal silence fell over the room. Finally, Patrick O'Connor said, These guys want to buy some of your weed. Cool. I sell dank. It's $50 an eighth, and I don't fuck with middies. I only have one strain, but it's pretty good, and it has lots of red hairs, Carl said, pulling out a large bag of prepackaged weed. John and I both emptied the money out of our pockets. We each bought a quarter of weed, and then took a few bong hits out of Carl's sweet glass bong. We shared some of our weed with our new shaggy-haired drug dealer. We also shared with O'Connor and Camilla. 
After about 30 minutes of hanging out, Camilla started only talking to Carl and Patrick. That's when John and I took our cue to leave, with our weed. We thanked Carl and said we'd probably be back in a few days to buy more if that was okay. Carl said, yep, that's no problem. See you guys. We realized that we could grab weed from Carl whenever we needed, and he wouldn't make us hang out with him. It was the start of a glorious relationship. We went back to the dorms and shared our dank weed with Kirk and Paul. <laughs> They're not on, why are they not on the list? They're not on the list because they weren't fraternity brothers. But they're in the story and the names have changed. I know, I but I know can't them. tell you who those people are. <laughs> I can only tell you the ones you know. I don't think you know these people. That's not Did fair. They hang out, that they hang out with the fraternity brothers? No, they just hung out with John and I. Oh, okay. So John and I went and got weed. We brought it back to the dorms and shared it with all of our dorm friends. And they're like, yes, you're the best ever. Thank you so much. Because we were bringing the dank. We were bringing that. I, I dig it. Bringing that dank home. August 29th, the futon. Kirk told me that he had met two girls and he needed a wingman to party with. He had a bottle of Old Crow bourbon and lots of weed for the night. When it was time to start drinking in his room, I recognized both of the girls he had met. I knew both of the girls from Virginia Beach. One was the stunning Sonia, and the other was Joy. Both were blonde and beautiful. Each of the girls was always fun to party with, because they liked smoking weed. A lot of beach girls enjoyed smoking weed. We pre-drank in Kirk's room, on his amazingly comfortable futon. He was one of the few people that had a futon in his room and I was envious of it. When we were good and buzzed, we walked to the dark side to hang out at a friend's house. All night I tried to get the attention of Sonia, but she was more interested in Kirk's swagger. He was the suave drug dealer, with the weed and booze supply for the evening. Joy was only interested in me because we were both the odd ducks out. We didn't have any chemistry, but we both enjoyed one another's company. At the end of the night, we went back to Kirk's room and blazed a lot of weed. When we were finished smoking, I walked Joy back to her room, and Sonia stayed with Kirk. So very anticlimactic. Yeah, that was a weak story, man. <laughs> but uh, it's setting it up for the next one. Uh, unfortunately, it's a one-two punch. The girl that was really named Joy is not here with us anymore, um, and I was thinking that it was too soon because she had just passed to ask her family, so I just renamed her in the story to Joy, because that's what she brought everybody around her. That's very fair, and you know, um, <clears throat> as I was looking at your your code list, I, I noticed, you know, I, I mentioned you know, when we went, when we did our pledge paybacks, you know, we went, we called our... Mm -hmm. Your postulant educator our, and... And I knew I knew his name, and I didn't say his name because uh, he has also passed. Yeah, it's very unfortunate, um, and again so soon that it's not Something that you want yeah. to just start asking for the relatives. Hey, can I take this person's likeness? But in that same breath, a brother that I couldn't have held in higher regard, mm -hmm. who, who I, when I filled the shoes of postulant educator, I, I took what he showed me. And uh, much respect. Yeah, we were lucky to meet a lot of people before they left this earth. Yeah, and there's there are names that aren't in your book 
characters that you probably didn't have any interaction with that were like major players for me. Um, uh, especially one that we both interact with on Facebook on a fairly regular basis. Uh, I don't think he's in this book. He might be in one of the next books. Yeah. I don't want to give too much away, but don't, don't give anything uh, away. He, he was my mentor. Uh, not my big brother, not 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 in my in my in my frat family, but he was somebody I looked up to and and affected my career path in life. Hmm. It's amazing how people might think of this book as just like, hey, this is a a joke, a parody, something funny about. But this this journey that you take being in a fraternity, I mean, some of these people actually give you this sense of being a man or a better person that you wouldn't have found anywhere else. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I I got purpose. I think I found self-worth in pledging the fraternity. I don't remember who it was that said it, but somebody was like, you know, you, you, you go from feeling like a Walmart brand to a name brand. You know, you get those letters on your chest and you're no longer just, you know, a run of the mill guy. You're, you're, you're part of something bigger than yourself. And and you have value because you earned it, and nobody earned it but you. You did that based on your 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 status, your stature, your resolve. You got there on your own, which that, you know is the unique part breath. of every fraternity, right? Because everybody feels that about their own letters in some way. Yeah, it breeds confidence. It breeds brotherhood and and long long term camaraderie that that just is difficult to describe. You know, you and I didn't talk for years and years and years and. You know, it's like no time has passed. I feel, still feel like I can have any conversation with you that I, I would have had like it was yesterday. So. And speaking of that, think about how it was just yesterday for this poor futon as we jump into the next story. <laughs> August 30th, foam face. The morning after going out with Kirk, I went to his room with John to see how his night ended. I noticed that his futon was against the wall in pieces. While we smoked weed, I asked him how he broke it. He said that he and Sonia got crazy the night before, and she was a cheetah in the sack. At one point, he had her leg up while they were fucking on the futon, and the futon broke. Long live the amazing futon. He asked if I wanted to go to a party that night on the light side, to drink to the death of his futon. Of course, I agreed. So this is interesting because you were just talking about, like, you know, it's just like yesterday with some of these things. So Ron Russo was absolutely in love with Sonia because they both grew up in Virginia Beach together. But I didn't find this out until, like, a couple of years later when, you know, obviously I make it into the fraternity. Otherwise, I wouldn't be writing a book right. about it. But um, when I make it into the fraternity and... Ron the, Russo is another one of my favorite brothers. Ron Russo wants to get with her so bad. They eventually do hook up, but I want to get with her, but he's in love with her. And I'm like, man, I can't hook up with this girl. Like, my brother's in love with her. This is so shitty. It's kind of funny how brotherhood, you can kind of stick a flag in something that's not even good yours. Good old Ron Russo. Good old Ron Russo, Absolutely. Later that night, John, Kirk, and I went to the house party on the light side. The keg was in the basement of the house. 
We all hung out in the basement for the most part of the night, playing beer pong. At one point, John went to the bathroom upstairs. While he was upstairs, Kirk started refilling his cup. This is when another guy came downstairs and snatched the pump out of Kirk's hand. Kirk said, what the fuck, and snatched it back. The guy didn't say house cup or anything. Instead, he said, freshman last. Kirk and the stranger got into a verbal argument. The guy threw beer foam into Kirk's face, so Kirk threw some foam back. Nothing escalated. The guy went upstairs, and we kept drinking downstairs. I asked him if we should go, and he said, No, fuck him. He can't belittle us because we're freshmen. A few minutes later, a guy came downstairs, and he asked us to leave. Kirk said, We were leaving anyway. We both got out of that one unscathed. When we were walking upstairs, John Knowles was coming out of the bathroom. He asked where we were going. We said we were leaving, and he said okay. He pounded his beer, and we all went back to the dorms to smoke some AK-47. I was so worried we were going to get in a fight uh, in this random basement of a house in this fucking <laughs> podunk town. That is a terrible situation to be in. You do not want to get in a fight inside somebody's basement in a like rural town that you're very unfamiliar with because it's very deliverance. You're already starting in a situation where like yeah. an accidental homicide can go down and then before you know it, the whole hockey team's figuring out how they bury a body. That escalated quickly, but I mean, August 31st, fuck Philly. John Knowles and I went to a party at the Sig H White House. It was as if fights were following us because some dude started talking shit about John. Although we tried walking to another room, the guy followed us. He was trying to instigate a fight with us. I whispered to someone at the party that I was about to take the guy outside to beat him up. Then the person I whispered to went and told the guy that was instigating with John what I had said. This is so true. Like, so stupid that I went up to some guy and I'm like, hey, this guy keeps talking shit. We're going to beat the fuck out of him. Well, this is my best piece of advice I can give anybody that actually listens to this out there. If you're going to hit somebody, don't go tell somebody. Just go fucking hit them and get it over with. A fight broke out there in the kitchen, and a bunch of Sig H brothers had to break it up. There were a lot of people in the kitchen when this happened. I didn't know anyone in the kitchen, but tried to remember their faces. Eventually, it was all defused by a guy named LT, who lived in the house. John and I drank some more beer before going back to the dorms to smoke weed. Getting into shit together strengthened our bond. I think that's true of of all of us getting into trouble together <laughs> strengthens your bonds. Absolutely. Um yeah, without giving too much away when I release this next book that's coming out we take a road trip to Longwood and instantly to bond with the Longwood brothers, I say, hey, who wants to play Edward 40 hands where you tape two 40s to your hands and you have to keep them even the entire time and whatever team drinks them the fastest wins. And uh, we smoked them, but it was a close game and it was a lot of fun. 
and it, it made us bond together. And then the rest of the weekend was a blast. September 1st, Track and Field House. John was excited that his girlfriend was coming into town. He found out where the best party was that he could take her to the first night she was in town. The best party in town that weekend was a jungle juice party at the Track and Field House. John had also bought mushrooms and a lot of weed for the weekend. When John's girlfriend came into town, she brought her friend with her. Her friend's name was Felicity and she was a brunette dime piece. Felicity was in the airspace program, and she wanted to be an Air Force pilot. She was going to ruin a lot of male officers' careers. I spent the whole day flirting with her. She told me repeatedly throughout our conversations that she had a boyfriend, but that didn't matter to me. I was going to keep flirting. We had hit it off by the time we went to the jungle juice party. When we got to the party, John took his mushrooms. The party had a garbage can filled with jungle juice. It was a mix of rums, fruits, and moonshine. Each cup was only $2, and I paid for Felicity's cup to be a gentleman. Everyone scooped the jungle juice out of the garbage can with their cups. Felicity and I... Sp can you imagine this in 2020, bro? Not with the Rona. So, it's just... A giant. I also, I also remember pissing into trash cans in corners of basements. Like, I hope it wasn't a trash trash can that was used as a piss bucket. Not only that, but like, yeah, piss. Yeah, that's pretty much like the worst thing—a piss bucket. But like, we're all scooping our cups in too. Like, mm -hmm. the cups aren't all f empty. Right. Like, <laughs> frick. Ilf. Ilf. Spent the night dancing under the black lights of the party. Occasionally, John and his girlfriend would check in on us to see how we were doing. Throughout the night, John's mushroom trip was intensifying. Each time he came back, he had a new piece of swag. The first time, he found glow sticks. The second time, he came back with giant funny glasses. The party felt like a rave, and I didn't want to leave. Every time that John came back up to me, he's like, I got glow sticks! And then the next time, he's like, I got these glasses, man! Like, each time, I couldn't remember all of the other things in the book, and I didn't write them down that night, but I wish I had. He brought back all sorts of things, and I'm like, where are you getting all of this stuff from? But I guess making he was just, collection. yeah, he was making boyfriends and girlfriends at the party, and they were all just giving him stuff because he was tripping mushrooms, and he had a smile from ear to ear. John's trip eventually became so intense that he couldn't handle the party and he wanted to go back to the dorms. We wiggled out of the full house and into the fresh air. It was nice being able to enjoy a party without the threat of an alcohol ticket with some new friends. The track and field house was six streets into the light side. It was even past Chippy and Eric's house. It took a long time to drunkenly walk back to the dorms. While we walked back, Felicity held my hand. While we were walking back to the dorms, Felicity asked if it would be okay if she slept in my bed. Of course I didn't have any objection. When we got back to my dorm room, Ethan was asleep in his bunk bed. Felicity and I climbed into my bed as quietly as possible. I tried hooking up with her, but she wouldn't because she wanted to remain loyal to her boyfriend. 
She said it was awkward because Ethan was in the bed beside us, and I said, fuck him, loud enough that Ethan could hear. I hated having a roommate. He was a perpetual cockblock just by his existence. I didn't want Felicity to feel more uncomfortable by being pressured. She probably already felt uncomfortable enough sleeping in a strange bed, so I asked her if she wanted to snuggle. She said, I love to snuggle. We talked and snuggled until the sun came up. After a night of getting zero sleep, we went to breakfast together. When we got back, we woke up John and his girlfriend. Man, that's some trifling ass shit. Snuggling with yeah. like... Snuggling with another dude while you're dating somebody? Snuggle cheating. Yeah, she snuggle cheated. What a snuggle hussy. She might as well have just <laughs> fucked me. I mean, she's already got to explain it, right? And he's not going to believe her. I wonder how many women I dated that snuggle cheated on me. September 2nd, Blunt Session with Sig H. A few days after my second charge, Patrick O'Connor and Eric came by my room. They said that I should pledge their fraternity. They loved my new nickname, Two Strike. The girls across the hallway overheard the conversation. They were so impressed that I had friends in a fraternity, and that the fraternity was practically begging me to pledge. It made me feel important and special that I was getting this attention. Since my second underage ticket, the entire fourth floor of freshmen knew who I was because I was the guy that got two strikes in two days. People that I hadn't introduced myself to were introducing themselves to me. They wanted to come to the parties I was going to and wanted party invitations. Any man that had that many alcohol tickets knew where the parties were, cops or not. That night, Mitch called me over to Calamander's house to hang out with Sig H. His house was a white two-story house with a huge layout inside. A few brothers lived in the house with Callum, and in the years to come, the house was also kept because of its size and low rent. Mitch had asked me to bring some weed, and since I wanted to smoke with those guys, I brought a few blunts that I had pre-rolled. I took John Knowles with me too. It was relaxing to be able to hang out with a huge group of people and be instantly accepted and welcomed. It gave me a chance to meet a lot of the brothers. I ran into James Campbell there, who I had also known from high school. I had seen him a couple of times because Patrick O'Connor and James were friends from Virginia Beach. We sat smoking blunts, staring at the renovated church across the street, one of the best units being occupied by Chippy and Eric. Callum, Kyle, Mitch, Ron Russo, James, John and I were on the deck smoking the blunts. We all just laughed while we smoked, looking into the starry mountain sky. You know, that was the only time that I got to smoke with some of those people. And I thought it was pretty cool. That's awesome. I smoked with a girl I can't remember on the roof of a house one time. I can't remember anything else except for the fact that it was cool as shit to be smoking on the roof of the house. Yeah, smoking on a roof is pretty sweet, man. Yes, so, so awesome. Especially, like, when the backdrop is, like, a starry night. September 3rd, Gina's Hate. Resident assistants, also known as RAs, were responsible for discipline. They were also a point of contact for residents of the dorms. 
My resident assistant was named Gina, and she did not like me from the moment we met, and she never would. I tried flirting with her, and that's when she told me she had a girlfriend. I said that was fine, and kept talking to her. For whatever reason, she didn't want to keep talking to me. I asked her if she partied, and she said she was too old to party. She also told me I was too young to party. When I asked how old she was, she answered, 21. I don't know if we should have this conversation on air or off air. I'm going to write this down because I'm going to might have to edit this out. But <laughs> as we're having this podcast, we keep sending each other pictures back and forth on who these people were or like just funny things. And we're muting ourselves, obviously, so we don't talk over the audio playing the entire time. But as we're going through this, I see that one of these people has entirely blocked the ability for me to see any of their stuff on social media and it, it happened post this book coming out so i'm sorry girl i didn't mean to piss you off i want to know what the what her name is in the book uh this was stand by pretty sure her name was lauren in the book and she had the piercings and all of that the stuff tattoos. And I had cheated on my girlfriend with her. Will confirm. Stand by. Can confirm. You can confirm? <laughs> no, I don't know. Why, okay. Why would I know that? <laughs> yeah, her name was Lauren. So, yeah, she blocked me. I reached out to everybody to ask them to sign release forms because I wanted the book to be as genuine as possible. And if they didn't want to sign the release form, that wasn't a problem. I went ahead and altered their character, their likeness, their name, anything that you could identify them specifically from. Some people might know that it's about them, but I mean, it's one in six billion people know and it's only that person. So it's not like it's defaming them in any way. Right, That's fair. My RA hated me. Hated me. She was a lesbian. I've always been sort of that jockey alpha male that's very loud and annoying and takes things too far. And I'm flirting with her and she doesn't like it. So I keep flirting <laughs> with her more, trying to push my luck. And she, like something snapped in her head. She's like, I got an axe to grind with this guy. So I made a very bad enemy very quickly. Yeah, yeah. September 5th. Wasn't yours to give. I normally kept my change for doing laundry in my closet. It was in a tiny dop kit on the second shelf. I had to do some laundry, so I went to get some change from my bag and noticed that a large portion of change was missing. The only person that had access to my closet was Ethan, unless he left the door open and the room was robbed. Even if that was the case, it was a very specific spot, and that would have taken someone a bit to find. When Ethan got back to the room, I confronted him about the change. He fessed up and said he didn't think it would be a big deal. When I asked him what he was talking about, he told me that the girls across the hall needed change for laundry. He said that he couldn't find any, but had remembered I had change in my closet. He gave them a bunch of my change. When I asked him how much he gave them, he said he didn't know. Not only did he steal from me, but he also didn't know how much he took. 
I started yelling at him and told him I didn't want to be in the same room with a thief and liar. He offered to give me the money back, but I screamed that he didn't even know how much it was. I told him that I had to leave the room before I said or did anything that could get me in serious trouble. When I turned to walk down the hall, most of the residents were in the hallway or looking out their doorways at me. I caused such a fuss that Gina asked if she could talk to me. I explained to her what happened and said that I wanted a new roommate. I wouldn't be able to live with a liar and a thief anymore. I knew I didn't have to stay in the room with him now, so I held all the cards. Although Gina didn't like me, she would have to accommodate me after I was the victim of theft. Gina said before she could do anything about our living situation, she would have to have a mediation meeting. I asked if that was necessary, but she said it was policy. I agreed to attend the meeting, and she set the date for the earliest that she could, which was September 21st. I didn't go back to my room. Instead, John, Kirk, Paul, and I went and smoked some amazing weed off campus together. So I know that you were emphatically in love with my roommate, but now this dude has stolen all of my change out of my cupboard and Listen, given it to the girls I across the hallway. Emphatic, I was not emphatically in love with your roommate. I was just saying, give people the benefit of the doubt in general. So I extended this huge olive branch and I guess I didn't make the branch thick enough because he put a swing set on it and broke that fucking branch right off, giving other people swing set rods. Uh, so he gave my change to the girls across the hallway, thought it wasn't a big deal, wasn't even going to tell me, and didn't know how much change. And I know this sounds so stupid and petty that, like, I would be pissed off about this, but, like, if somebody will take a penny from you, then they'll take a dollar. That's true. And if somebody takes dollars from you and doesn't know how many dollars they took from you, they'll probably take something else. So yeah, I raged out fair. on him. And I already had two strikes, but I screamed at him. I made sure I didn't threaten him. I wanted to. But I also was towered over him. So it's not like... I didn't want to bully the kid either, right? It wasn't a situation where he had any of the cards. It was... a. Uh, I'm holding all 52 cards and like a joker and I don't feel like being mean to this guy. So I just screamed at him a little and then I went and smoked weed with my buddies. I think that's fair. I told him about everything that happened. Paul said that we should use this to fix our missed opportunity of not rooming together. It was a great idea I would have to pursue. So, in this situation, we found out through all of the policies and everything that you have to have a mediation meeting, but if somebody threatens, steals, or puts you in a position in your dorm room, and there's other vacancies, then they have to move out. Yeah. So now, my buddy Paul, who smokes weed, is like, how can we get in the same room together? Because I hate my roommate, too. <laughs> So we'll leave you guys with that for this week. Wonderful. I love where this is going. Me too. It's all uphill from here. Well, downhill, depending on how you look at it.